Good morning. I'd like to introduce our storyteller for today. If you're new here, I just want to let you know that we have storytelling every week, uh, except for Communion Sundays. And that's an opportunity for us to hear from people in our congregation a personal story that they have that you just wouldn't have an opportunity to, to get to know somebody on that level, you know, in the lobby area or, um, you know, in church. So it gives us a window into someone's life, and it's really a, a cool thing to do. Our storyteller today is Terry Ball. Terry is a retired physician. Um, Terry is uh, got a, how would I put it? a really great dry sense of humor. Um, he comes out with some very good quips. And Terry and Judy, his wife, um, are in the midst of building a new home. So they are in construction. Their old home has been uh, taken away and a new one is being built for them. And so he probably might be a little fragile. You know how it is with remodel projects, so be good to him. But the thing I can say, especially about Terry, is he has a passion for people learning about Christ. And I'm sure you'll, that will come through today as he comes on up. Terry, come on and tell us a story. Thank you, Julie. My answer to the question this morning, what is the most valuable thing that you would take with you were your house to burn is very, very simple and easy. It's already with me. It's my faith. Over the next few minutes, I'm going to use a truncated story of my life that demonstrates the power of two kinds of prayer. Briefly, I was born in Tacoma, raised in Longview, went to Wazoo, and then went east for 10 years, starting in Baltimore at Johns Hopkins, where I got my medical degree. Then I went to Hartford for residency, and then I finished up at Yale uh, to be trained in gastroenterology. I joined the Mason Clinic in 1975 and retired 10 years ago. Judy and I met in Baltimore, and uh, we got married there. Statistics tell us that it is unusual for a middle-aged man to become a Christian. This is especially true for the person I was 20 years ago. I was totally happy. I didn't need God. I had a good marriage, a great practice. I drove a BMW. I was a member of the Washington Athletic Club, the Seattle Yacht Club. Uh, we went to Hawaii each winter and we sailed north to Canada each summer. But I had few friends, but that wasn't important. Then I became a Christian and understood what Paul meant when in Philippians 7, 3, 7 to 9, paraphrased, his life was nothing before meeting Christ. And my life was nothing. I had rejected God uh, in high school. Not much of a relationship. Most of you remember the parable about the old woman and the judge that we find in Matthew 18, verses 1 through 8. She hounded him until he granted her request. That is what intercessory prayer is all about. Bringing a request for someone before the Lord over and over 
and if needed, over again. With me, there were several more overs. Judy was away from the Lord when we eloped. Immediately, her family, after they got over the shock, got on their knees. For me, too. Judy returned to the Lord and joined him. After accepting Jesus, I came to find out, excuse me, that patients, colleagues like Mac Hall, and employees even at work had prayed for me. For many years, nothing happened. Judy then decided to join this church and got the Covenant Women Prayer Warriors like Betty Holing and Barb Herman involved. I won't share the details, but soon I came screaming and kicking into the kingdom. The denouement came after I read and reflected on the gospel. By nature, I am a cynical skeptic. I'm also a student of human beings and how they act. The Bible says that Jesus is God and died for our sins. Okay. History tells us that after he ascended into heaven, his disciples shared this story with anyone who would listen. People will die, as we all know from the daily news, for what they believe in. But no one will die for what they know is a lie. Disciples were eyewitnesses to Jesus' life, teachings, death, and saw him alive after his resurrection. Their accepting suffering and death convinced me that Jesus is God. Can't tell you how bad I felt then. The why and how I accepted Jesus is intercessory prayer. All of these people continuing to hound the Lord. He gave up. He said, all right. I started attending this church as an observer. If my wife had had dentures the morning I got up and put on a jacket and came with her, she would have lost them. I'm telling you the truth. I didn't know what was happening. It was the Sunday after New Year's in 1998. Then I started reading. I read a lot of books. And then I said, gee, all these people are saying that, so I'm going to go to the original source, the gospel. And I would remind you that the Bible that we have is the Bible that was written by eyewitnesses. And the Bible that we read is the Bible that was written because of the number of copies we have going back. Don't let anybody kid you or lie to you. It is the best book in the entire world. Then, with the gospel and the brain God blessed me with, did the rest. Intercessory prayer is part of my daily quiet time. Um, I pray for several of you in this room today, every day. I would like to remind you that several of us meet at the church here on Thursday mornings for an hour beginning at 8.30 for intercessory prayer. We have empty chairs, so if anyone would like to see what goes on, what we do, they're welcome and they're more than welcome to join our group. As important as the first prayer was, to me the second prayer personally as I live is even more important, and that's healing prayer. Many of you listened to Susan Dupron share her heart-wrenching testimony of sexual abuse and the scars that it left. Just in case you missed it, she told us that healing prayer made 
her whole. As I prepared for this morning, in a way I felt like a bit of a wimp as I looked at my story compared to hers. But in actual point of fact, pain is personal and it fills us completely. Today I know that my parents did the best they could for me and my five brothers. But you can't give what you don't have. My mom and dad were deeply wounded by their parents and they unwittingly passed it on. I was the oldest son and my first grandparent died when I was 16. And I had big eyes and big ears. So I saw them all in action. It was terrible. And how my parents were treated. Shortly after becoming a Christian, Rob Dupron lovingly came up to me, as only Ron could, and told me that I really needed to read a book. The book was Restoring the Christian Soul. I read it and many others by a lady, a very sweet lady, who's now gone to the Lord. And I attended her pastoral care conference in, uh, at Wheaton College uh, three times. Sometimes I'm a slow learner. There I learned much about growth and development and healing when it gets messed up. I learned that healing, excuse me, that wounding can even occur in utero before the baby's born. I heard the testimony of many who were healed, just like Susan. These two stories unequivocally demonstrate the power of healing prayer. An Episcopal priest a heterosexual with several children told us about his previous gay life of many years' duration. A healed mom graphically, jokingly, dramatically described her former lesbian self as a dyke on spikes. Everyone knows if you read the paper or listen to the news that these things don't happen. But folks, our God is powerful and can do anything when asked. I combined what I learned from Leanne with being a listening physician and recognized how deeply wounded I was. Now, to have a chance to grow up as a happy and psychologically healthy human being, we need a mother that loves us. We need a father that affirms us, and they need to model what it means to have a good marital relationship. Obviously, people who don't have this can grow up perfectly fine, and people who have it all can fall flat in their face. Remember who Adam and Eve's dad was. I didn't have that. My dad never told me that he loved me or put his arms around me. Mom was too busy being pregnant, depressed, and thinking about divorcing him to give me much. I never saw them sharing any sort of affection until I was in my mid-40s. And that was when we took them to Hawaii and saw them walking down the beach hand in hand. What is healing prayer? Another name for healing prayer is healing of memories. It is not a simple or casual undertaking. Occasionally, by oneself or better with the help of somebody like Mary Strom, or Susan, 
you prayerfully and systematically examine your life to find out what wounded you. You decide to forgive the person or persons who wounded you. You invite Jesus into those memories. You see his tears. You then know it was not your fault. You ask him for a true sense of self, and you will get it. Jesus heals you. I am now healed and have been truly happy for 15 years. It took a while. I now have many true friends. My marriage is better, and my relationship with my brothers is much better. I love my church family and am looking forward sometime in the future to spending eternity with Betty Holing and you in this sanctuary. My one regret is that my parents died before I was healed and could have perhaps helped them. Thank you for listening. The scripture's reading is from 2 Corinthians. Please follow along in your Bible or use the screens. I will be reading verses 6 through 12 and 16 to 18 from chapter 4 in the New International Version. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death of Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The word of the Lord. Thank you again, Terry, for sharing your story. All right, today we are looking at a passage in scripture that talks about treasure and transformation. I'm Julie Steele, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, this week has been really great for me to be diving into this particular scripture, because as always, God always has something very particular in mind when we're preparing these things, and it always applies to the person who's preparing the talk, it has for me, and then I get to share it with you. Well, as I said, we're talking about treasure and specifically about treasure that has power. 
the power to transform. Treasure is something that you value, it's something that you search for, something that you will even sacrifice to get. How many of you have seen Pirates of the Caribbean? Most of you, you know all about the, the treasure in that. And going back a lot more years than that, how many of you have seen Treasure of the Sierra Madre? One or two, you need to see that movie. It's really gritty. It's all about the lengths people will go to find treasure. And there's a great line in that movie that I always remember. I've seen what gold does to a man's soul. The other day, I was taking my little granddaughter Mary for a walk, and she said, Grammy, let's look for treasure. Well, now her treasure means rocks and leaves that we collect along the way. But for most of us, treasure means something more of a monetary value. The Bible has a lot to say about treasure. It says we should not lay up our treasures on earth because our treasure on earth, it can be destroyed and it can be taken away. It also says that where our treasure is, that's where our heart will be. And one of the parables that Jesus tells is about a man who found a hidden treasure in a field, and he buried it, and then he went and sold everything he had to buy that field, because that treasure was priceless to him. Now, the kind of treasure that Paul's talking about here in 2 Corinthians, it's a treasure that can transform. It's a treasure that can actually change us from the inside out. Verse 7 says that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, this is a metaphor for our own human frailty or being fragile and vulnerability. So that it's clear that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Clay jars were insignificant, common, temporary, expendable. This treasure is not contained in something that is like a gold box or a treasure box. On the outside, this clay jar is ordinary. You would never think that there was a treasure inside of it. It's just an earthen vessel. Well, what does this clay pot contain? What actually is the treasure that Paul's talking about here? Well, go to verse 6. It says that it is the knowledge of God. The light of the knowledge of God's glory shone on the face of Christ. The treasure is the gospel message. Now, we use the word enlighten to describe a new thought or new knowledge that we might have. We've been enlightened in something. Light reveals what's hidden. Light reveals what cannot be seen in the dark. When Christ came to earth, he was revealing who God was. What may have been hidden or unknown was now brought to light in Christ. Proverbs 2 says, if you seek it like silver and search for it as a hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The treasure is the knowledge of God. So Paul goes on to describe how this treasure informs how we and he experience human hardships. Verses 8 to 12, we are pressed on every side but not crushed. 
When have you felt so much pressure that you thought it would crush you? It feels like you just can't take any more. Perplexed, but not in despair. Maybe you're in a place of confusion right now. You don't understand what God's doing or what he's not doing. Maybe he's even allowing your situation to get worse. That's really confusing. Despair is a very dark place to be. It means that you have no hope. But the knowledge of God can give you hope. Persecuted or hunted down, but not abandoned. It feels like you're on your own. Everything and everyone is against you. Have you ever felt that way? I have a friend who said to me one time, just when you think you see the light at the end of the tunnel, you realize it's another train coming for you. The reality is we are never alone. Struck down but not destroyed. It might feel like you're down for the count, but because of the treasure that we have in these clay pots of ours, we are not destroyed. You might feel like you're knocked down, but you're not knocked out. Now, Paul knew what he was talking about because later on, he gives us a long list of his sufferings. He was beaten many times, thrown in jail, persecuted, shipwrecked, robbed, lied about, starved, and many more things. So he knows what he's talking about here when he's describing this. Now, in verses 10 to 12, Paul says that we lose our lives so that Christ is always displayed in us. We embrace our weaknesses so that others can see Christ in us. The point ties back to verse 7, where we have this all-surpassing power that is shown to be God and not us. In other words, our afflictions and suffering can also be a way for others to see the treasure in us. It's an opportunity for God's power to shine through us, an opportunity maybe for us to be able to share our faith. And I just realized I went to the wrong slide. I am sorry. I'm confusing you, aren't I? We'll all just be confused together this morning. How's that? All right. So how then does this treasure transform us? How does it help us to not be crushed, to not be in despair, feeling abandoned or destroyed? How do we endure real-life hardships that we all face? How can we keep our clay pots from cracking? Life is real with real pain, real problems, and real frustrations. People get sick, they experience disappointment, they shed tears, and they're touched by death. So what do we do? Well, we acknowledge that we are fragile and easily broken, but we have a stabilizing force within us to prevent us from cracking under the pressures of life. We have a treasure. Now we can move on. Paul says, therefore, we do not lose heart because we know who God is and we know his power. He knows that it is, in fact, 
the suffering, the pressure, the confusion, the feeling of abandonment that transforms our perspective on life. The knowledge of God's glory demonstrated in Christ in his life here on earth, his death, his resurrection, is exactly what we need to give us a new, more comprehensive perspective on our momentary afflictions. Now, because of this treasure that we hold, we can see beyond the outward, seen circumstances to the inward, unseen reality. The reality that the power within us is more than sufficient to keep our jars from breaking. Our human suffering is understood now in light of eternity. Without the knowledge of God, without understanding who God is, my suffering, your suffering, it feels meaningless because it's all we see. Our vision is limited. All I can see is that my clay pot is completely inadequate to endure the challenges that I face and that you face. Yesterday, I had a timely conversation with my sister who lives in Arizona. We've always been really close and we were updating each other on the last few weeks of the goings on of our life and the pressures that we both have been going through. She has one of her sons and her granddaughter living with her um, and she is in the process of obtaining full custody of her granddaughter as the mother has been in and out of jail and rehab and the threat of her granddaughter being kidnapped now by the mother is very real. So the paperwork, the expenses, the emotional trauma while trying to work full time in dealing with this situation has my sister feeling immense pressure and at times abandoned. And then I shared with her for the last couple of weeks how the pressure has been getting to me with Barry having a very serious infection, has had us to doctors, urgent care, ER, several medication changes, and a lot more. And there were times when I told God I could not do any more. Of course, he said, yes, you can. Well, my sister said to me, I feel overwhelmed, but I see how God has provided help, so I know I can do this. She went on to say that all that Barry and I have gone through and will continue to go through somehow has meaning and that when we get to heaven, we will see that there is a purpose in our suffering and that we will have, it will have eternal implications. I so needed to hear that. Her perspective on life shows that she has been transformed by the treasure that she holds. She is able to see her problems as temporary. Paul says that our troubles are achieving something that is eternal, and the knowledge of that can outweigh the heartache that we all experience in our problems. And I am reminded that this world is not our home. Paul tells us in Philippians 3, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies, those are the clay jars, 
and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Is that not comforting? What we are experiencing right now, it is temporary. And that's why Jesus says to not store up our treasures here on earth. Because ultimately, everything we have here on earth is going to go away. It's meaningless and has no value. And it will actually hinder our transformation process. Now, what's amazing and really ironic to me is that as we are outwardly wasting away, at the very same time, we are inwardly being renewed. So when I'm looking old and haggard and droopy, just know that I am looking great on the inside, okay? <laughs> Think about all the things we do to make ourselves look good on the outside. And the more we waste away, the more effort we put into that, don't we? Makeup, hair color, Botox, hair transplants, plastic surgery, expensive creams, and that's just this section over here. <laughs> what if we spent that much time on our inward, eternal self? What would that transformation look like? Just so you know, I'm not giving up on that beauty regime because that wouldn't do anybody any good, but I am working on spending more time on my spiritual regime. Romans says that we are not to conform to the outward, temporary pattern or way of doing things, but instead to renew our minds. Our minds are what need to be transformed. That's the inward part of us. That's the transformation that we want to see. And as our transformation process continues, we become what God has created us to be. The old self, the one that focuses on the here and now, the one that is crushed, perplexed, alone, and destroyed, will give way to the new self, one that has found the treasure of the gospel message of being in Christ and now transformed into a new creation. Now, I have always been fascinated with butterflies. The transformation process that it goes through, I think, is a picture for ours as well. Now, I realize that this is a very simplified version of the metamorphosis, but look at the different stages and think about where you might be in this process. I think I pretty much hang between two and three most of the time. I'm still in process, and actually there are days when I want to go back to the cocoon. As my knowledge of Christ increases, my treasure grows. I value it more than any earthly treasure I have because it can't be taken away from me. There is no power in earthly treasure except the power to corrupt. The goal is to continue to be transformed until we become the butterfly, the person God created us to be. 
So some application points for us. Where are you storing up your treasure? Where do you spend your time, your money, your resources, and your energy? That's going to tell you where your treasure is. Is it in things that you have? Is it in a job? Is it in your children? What school you go to? Your health? And do others see God's light in you? Not your light. As Peter always tells us, we aren't to let, we aren't to shine our lights. We are to let Christ's light shine in us. And are you in a circumstance that feels like it's gonna crush you? You're pressed on every side. And are you confused about what God is or is not doing in your situation? Is despair creeping in as you struggle to have hope? And can you say like Paul, but not? I am perplexed, but not abandoned. The key to persistence is perspective. So, do we need a shift in our perspective from the temporary to the eternal? I personally don't like this transformation process. It's painful. I'm good at staying a caterpillar. I'm fine with that. Fortunately, God has bigger and better plans for me because he wants to transform me into his likeness through my suffering so that others can gain a new perspective too because it's not just about me. I had a teacher once say, don't waste the suffering. Let it be used to transform you for God's glory. How we deal with our suffering, how we deal with our difficulties will show others the all-surpassing power of God that we have in Christ, which is the greatest treasure that we own. So thinking today about these words, what's God putting on your heart? What's the message he has for you? We all come in here with different situations, different problems, and God wants to meet us here and wants to transform each of us into who he created us to be. And he wants to use everything we have, every experience we have, good and bad, to continue that transformation experience. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, some of us today, we are feeling really fragile and ready to break. God, we thank you that when we are at our weakest, you are at your strongest. Give us a new perspective on our suffering so that eternal transformation can happen so that others will see the light of your glory and will have hope. Amen.